Okay, so I said last week that I'd finished the, that series, Be Brave, Trust God, yeah? But I offered, and, and it was, it was uh, well received, that we should have a bonus preach this week. So this is the bonus preach. And, and last week we went into the valley of weeping and depression, didn't we? And we saw how they came through that. And we looked at the, the things that David did when he was in that place. Today, we're going to a different valley. We're going to the valley of blessing, which is which much more positive than last week's valley, isn't it? It's a good place, this one. But my point, the, the first thing I want you to see is that this didn't set off as a good place. It actually set off as a hopeless place. Okay. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to start at verse 25 and 26. The basic situation here is, it's a story uh, you, you probably have heard before. It's a, a story that Roger Bostock preached so brilliantly once on uh, the story of Jehoshaphat. And uh, you will all be relieved to know I'm not going to get Roger up to sing Jumping Jehoshaphat this morning. So, you know, the, you know it's too hot for him, too hot for him. Um, but basically, they're faced with a, an absolutely overwhelming army. And what happens is that Jehoshaphat, he gathers all the people together and they pray to God for deliverance. And what happens is that during the night, God answers the prayer. And the way he answers the prayer is he stirs up this overwhelming army, he stirs up all the different factions in the army to turn on each other. So that when Jehoshaphat gets there, gets there with, with, with the army of Israel, what happens is that all the enemies are dead because they've all killed each other. That's a good way for your enemies to be defeated. Um, and so when Jehoshaphat and his army enter the valley they see all this destruction in front of them. And they go into the valley and they start to collect all the spoils of war. So that's where we join the story. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewellery, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. That's kind of good, isn't it? Like you've got, you're faced with this overwhelming problem. And at the end of it, you're blessed so much that it takes you three days to gather all the jewels and the, the weapons and the gold and the silver and all the rest of it. Then they returned every match. Sorry. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka. Baraka means blessing until this day. And so God turned around this situation that seemed hopeless to a place of blessing. That works for us as New Covenant believers as well, doesn't it? Because God turns all things to good for those who love the Lord. Yeah? Um, and so when we walk in faith, we can see God change situations. And I guess the thing about this situation, when you know, if you were Jehoshaphat, you, you would look at what was in front of you and you would have gone, well, this is absolutely hopeless. 
you know, have you ever been, or maybe you're in this place right now, when everything just seems to go the wrong way? All the odds seem completely stacked against you. But you know God's asked you to do something, or you know you've got to do something, but it doesn't seem like you're ever going to be able to do it, or it's ever going to happen. And that's, that's what it was like for them before they cried out to God, and before they trusted God. And to do that, they, they had to trust God, but then they had to go out and be brave. They had to go out ready to wage war. They didn't actually have to wage it in the end, but they went out ready to wage war, even though things looked overwhelming against them. And that's the thing about God. He can take something with overwhelming odds and he can still stack those odds in your favor. Here's the thing. Here's what I wanted to come on to this morning. At 7 o'clock this morning, I got a phone call. And the phone call was from Joyce, who's, who's away this weekend. And it basically said, you need to listen to this program that's on on Radio 4 at the moment because there's apparently a bill going through Parliament that will restrict our ability to minister into certain situations. Uh, and it's, it's also a bill that will restrict the, the way that churches can deal with those who uh, want... Uh, it's all around the gender issue. And the church of it, the, there is a church, the major denomination in the UK, is actually backing this bill rather than opposing it, which is, is sad. But it's things like that that make you aware that the enemy is at operation in our land. We might not face what Andrew Brunson is facing or what Heidi is facing, but we are starting and are well into starting to face things that are limiting our ability to be believers and to express that belief. And the, the really interesting thing is that as I was reading that, uh, sorry, as, as I was... Uh, as I got that phone call from Joyce, I was reading my Bible. I was sat out in, in, in the garden, as you can at this time of year, with my cup of tea, reading my Bible, and I was reading about Daniel and how they, they made a decree that nobody was allowed to pray unless they prayed to King Nebuchadnezzar for a period of 30 days. And if anybody did, they would be cast into a den with lions. And what we found, what, what you see in that story, and this is the bit that I was reading when the phone call came in, Daniel went, he opened his windows, he faced towards Jerusalem, and he prayed like he did every day to the God of Israel. And it can seem like we aren't winning. But I know a God who can bring down kingdoms and change anything. And, you know, we, this, this enemy that we have to deal with, that, you know, the, the Bible calls him the God of this world. And it says he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. It, and, and, and also we know that we're not really dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with spiritual issues. And the enemy is using that to assault the confidence of believers. 
So we have a we 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 are you know we have a lot of believers in our generation who aren't as solid and as firm as they used to, as they were in previous generations. And we have a lot of a lot of believers who are not confident and don't know how to stand in faith. Because we have uh, for maybe several generations watered down the gospel and and and, and made it I guess, user-friendly. When we do that, we take the power out of it. Because the only thing that God acts on is faith. And when we don't teach people how to stand in faith, when we don't tell them the complete victory of the cross, when we don't teach them about grace, when we don't teach them about how to stand, when we don't teach them about living radically for Christ then we end up in this situation we find ourselves in with, with the church that's been backed, backed in. And like Jehoshaphat, we have to be ready to ride out and face the enemy and take some ground. And when we'll do that, God will turn that hopeless situation into a place of blessing for the body of Christ. And, and we have to understand this, that nothing changes in the world until we rise up. Nothing changes in the world until we come out of the walls of our churches and we go to war and we start taking some ground back. And, and that's, that's kind of the place I wanted to get us to this morning, to, to understand how important it is that, that we can't live just drifting through as previous generations have done have just been Sunday Christians. It's too late for that because the thing about the enemy is when you give him some ground, he doesn't stop, he takes more. And now the enemy's trying to come in and dictate to us what we can say in our own meetings and, and the way we can minister. And we have to be a bit like Daniel and a bit like Josephat and ride out and face the enemy. So here's the question that I want to look at this morning. How do, you pass, how do you pass through the enemy and get to the place of blessing? How do you, how do you go through? How, do, how does that happen? How do you get to the place where you're not being backed down by the enemy, but instead you're plundering his goods? Because that's what we want to be doing, isn't it? I want to see hell empty and heaven full. And to do that, we're going to have to start plundering some souls. We're going to have to go start going after some things. Jesus said um, this, that he, he compared the kingdom of heaven to a little seed. And he said, it, it's like this little seed, but as it grows, it grows into this big, massive tree and all the birds of the air nest in its branches. So the problem isn't the way the kingdom works. The kingdom in this world is still advancing. There are more believers on planet Earth right now than have existed throughout the history of time. So the kingdom is still growing. Two billion plus believers. So the problem's not the kingdom. The problem is the church and the believers in this land, in this country, which is 
the one where we are positioned by God. I don't know if you've thought of yourself like this, but actually you're positioned by God right where you are to make a difference where you are. So if you're in Haverhill, you're positioned in Haverhill to make a difference right where you are. If you're in Royston, you're positioned in Royston to make a difference right where you are. And, and the same for all of us. You see, Jesus, I don't, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but you know like when Jesus came to earth, we talk about he became incarnate. He, he took on flesh and became in bodily form. He became the incarnation. Well, Jesus is still incarnate on this earth because we're his body. And his body is a living, moving, breathing thing and you're part of that body and he's in you and you're in him and therefore you carry all the authority, all the power that Christ carried on earth. And, you know, sometimes, somewhere along the line we have to ask ourselves, is this the best we can do with it when we look at this country? Is this the best we can do with resurrection power? Well, it is the best we can do with resurrection power if we don't use it. And so we need to start using what we have been given through Christ with boldness. To do that, we have to position ourselves to win. We have to stop saying we're on the losing side. We have to stop saying we're getting backed into a corner and it's all hopeless. And isn't it terrible what's happening and the government are doing this and the government doing that? Well, I've just read Daniel and God brings down four governments in the space of one book there. So that's all right with me, including the most powerful empire anybody had seen up to that stage. And it has the leader of that empire out in a field, completely insane, eating dirt. That's what God can do. We can't do it, but that's what God can do. So we have to believe God and trust God that he can change things and he's going to change things. But to see that, we need to play our part. We need to ride out and engage the enemy. So how do you position yourself? Go with me to Psalm, Psalm 1. Verses 1 and 2. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you two positions not to adopt and then three positions that will help you adopt. So two things not to do, three things to do. So because I like to finish on good news, I'm just going to start on the ones not to do. So write down in your notes or whatever you, you make your notes on or on your iPhone or whatever else, write down, I should not do these things. They are not for me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. First thing, write this down. Don't do this. Don't receive or listen to ungodly counsel. A lot of us live our life listening to friends, family, TV screens, newspapers, social media, and we absorb all this ungodly counsel about our life. 
and what we should be doing in our life and how we measure whether we're successful and how we measure if we're good looking and how we measure this and how we measure that and how to deal with this and how to deal with that. And you know, the gospel isn't a seven-step program to sorting out your financial job prospects. Because, you, and, and it's not a seven-step program to dealing with, like, every problem of life. There's enough books and enough magazines that are out there which will provide you with all sorts of wise counsel that isn't in any way at all inspired by God. And we need to, to learn to um, discern the difference between the two. When it says wicked counsel, that, the word that's translated, tra have, you, have you heard that word wicked? Because it, it's got a certain connotation to us now, but it comes from an old English word. So they, they took this old English word and it, it, it became wicked when they translated, it was wicked when they translated the Bible. But the original English word that they, they were transposing at the time meant twisted. You see, nobody offers you bad things when you're looking for a good answer. But they can offer you stuff that's twisted. And they'll offer you things uh, or, or advise you things that are just twisted versions of what God has for you. You see, what it means is when we start adopting wicked counsel, it means to run our life on the basis of the opinions of the world. And God's asking us to be a people who run our lives on the basis of his opinions. I put a, a post up on Facebook, um, I guess it was a couple of months ago now, but, you know, and, and I said this, I don't care what the opinion of the devil is and what he has to say, because God spoke first, and he has the last word too. So I don't, I don't we, we have to get smarter about living our life on the basis of what God says and listening to his counsel and his wisdom. And we get that counsel and wisdom through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit, the guidance, the direction, and the teaching of the Holy Spirit to our hearts. You know, when you, you hear this, like, twisty counsel, you know, people go like, oh, you know, just coming back to what I was talking about, well, look at the mess the church is in, it's failing, it's struggling, it's, you know, people are leaving, and it's in decline, and it's ineffective, and it's not relevant, and all these sort of things, and, and, and they'll say all that. And then they'll say things like, you know, God must be so sad about the church. He must be so upset about the church. He, he must be really angry with the church. Actually, God loves the church. It's his bride. It's the bride of Christ. God loves the church. He's not angry with it. The church isn't failing. The church worldwide is doing very well, thank you. Neither is the church failing here. God doesn't fail. God is always faithful to us as his church. And we can be confident that when we step out and ride out to meet the, the, where the enemy is taking ground, that we will have success. 
Here's the second thing that it says in that. Don't sit in the seat of the... Don't sit with the scornful. The good old English words, these, aren't they? Who knows what scornful is? Full of scorn, yeah, good. Yeah, didn't, right answer didn't take us very far, that one, Roger. Scornful. People who look down their noses at you. How many, know, how many of you know people who look down their noses at you? How many, a lot more of you want to admit it, I know. But you get these people, people who talk down to you, people who laugh at you, people who make fun of your ideas, people who tell you things will never work. You know, people who think they're better than you are. No, we don't know any of that sort of person, do we? No, I'm talking to, like, nobody knows any of that sort of person. That's a scornful person. And, and when they're talking like that to us as believers, it's this attitude of cynicism and, and mockery. You know, like, oh, you're stupid believing all that stuff. Well, no, I'm not stupid. I'm really intelligent. You know, it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe in a God that cannot fail. You know, what I'd like you to, to get from this is that, that we don't join them. You know, one of the problems of having to engage with things like social media and things is a lot of the stuff that's on there is negative. And we, we manage to engage in such a way that, we, that you, you find people criticising other people, uh, just arguing, uh, complaining, having goals at other ministries, having goals at uh, you know, this ministry or that ministry or whatever. And we can't help the enemy in that way. We just have to realise that when we, when we put stuff out in public, it gets seen in public. And... You know, I have a lot of people who I, you know, part of my job is to make sure that, that, that the message we have here gets wider than here. So I have to engage with social media. So I've got something close on 3,000 people that, that, in theory, I connect with. Now, I know that well over 1,000 of them are unbelievers. So I have to be really careful what I, I put out. I don't want people thinking badly of the kingdom, and I, I don't want our own little petty squabbles reflecting on Christ. Because we, we have to understand that what we do in public or what we do in front of friends and what we do not in private reflects on the one that we're the ambassador of. And we're the ambassadors of Christ. So we don't want to sit with these people. We don't want to get into that mindset. And... Right, you know, I refuse, and I go with this mindset, that I refuse to be influenced by their attitudes. I will not align myself with the critics who criticise people personally. I will not do that. And neither will God. You know, when, uh, when he comes and the, the leader of the king's army and he says which side are you on and he says well I'm not on yours and not on theirs I'm on God's side God's on God's side and and he's concerned about his kingdom so he's not on our side he's not taking sides he's not he's not getting engaged in our, our squabbles but by doing that we reflect a, a a sense to those who don't believe or those who are maybe 
disenchanted, disillusioned or whatever, we reflect badly on the one that we're the ambassador of. So don't sit with the scornful. Now here's two thing, three things to do. Now I've given you the, 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 the things not to do. The reason you shouldn't do the other two things is this, is that it affects your faith. It affects what you can believe for. It affects uh, what you say. It affects what's coming out of your mouth. It affects your prayers. It affects your attitude. And ultimately, it'll stop God working in your life. Because you just a negative attitude works against faith. And faith is what God desires. Trust in him is what he desires. So here's three things we want to do. Now, at the start of this year, I preached all the way through Hebrews. I don't even remember that. That series called Dealt With. Well, I'm going to come back full circle and finish this off as like the, the finish off in Hebrews before we like engaged in summer. Although summer's come earlier this year, hasn't it? I'm kind of hoping summer goes at least beyond next Sunday. Um, so go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Bring stuff right around, full circle. I just thought. I just thought, God's so good. Like, the phone call this morning, me reading Daniel, that passage in Daniel at the same time. I've got this passage that I'm going to talk about, and then Mike starts talking about it as part of the worship, about how we have access boldly before the presence of God, that we can just go into his presence, that there's no barriers there. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated to, for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What do I want you to see from that? Well, I want you to see a few things. So, number one, when it looks hopeless... And you need God to win the victory for you. The first thing you do is this. You draw near to God. Because it says, draw near to God, you'll find the help you need in times of need. And we can boldly go before the throne of grace. To be in the place of blessing, we first of all have to be in the place of the presence of God. The presence of God and the blessing of God are inseparable. We need to draw near to God. And, and so therefore, when, when, we, when we're facing what looks overwhelming, we don't pull back from God and go, this is hopeless. We go to God and we say, I'm coming into your presence because you promised me that you would help when I need help. And right now I need help. So I'm coming into your presence and I'm choosing to rest in your presence. I'm choosing to that, make that my dwelling place. And that's where I'm going to stay until I see the victory that you have. Because I can't win this one, but you can. So I'm just going to stay in your presence. I'm going to draw near. And I can draw near boldly. I'm not drawing near, you know, miserable, pathetic, whining about how hopeless I am. I'm drawing near Boldly, because Christ died for me, I'm, he gave me his righteousness. He took the, the blame for all my sins. And unlike what happened in the Old Testament where they couldn't even like 
get anywhere near God and they had to have walls and tents and curtains and everything separating them from God. Now, I can go boldly before the throne of God any time I like and find the help that only he can give. You know, in the Old Testament, they were kind of separated from God. And, and they had a mediator, they had this high priest who could go in once a year, and even then it was so scary for him, they had to tie a rope to his ankle in case he dropped dead while he was in there, and they could pull him out again. And, but now, we can go into the presence of God at any time. It's open. Open, permanently open, because Jesus made a way for us. He dealt with the sin issue, took it out of the way, and opened our access to the presence of God. We would be foolish to be people who weren't people of the presence. We would be foolish to be people who drew away from God instead of drawing near to him. Go to verse 23. Let me carry on. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Second thing to do, hold fast. So, number one, draw near in his presence. Secondly, hold fast. When you don't understand what's happening, when you, you don't understand what's going on, when you can't figure anything out, when you just haven't a clue how this is like forward or, or positive at all, God, when you, you go like, I cannot see how this is going to sell itself. Hold fast to your confession that the promises of God are yours. Now remember, one of the things we've learned over, over this series, over the summer, is your first port of call all the time is the word of God. And so when you've got something in your life that, that you need God's help on or you, you're struggling with or whatever, go and find, your first thing you do, go and find what the word says about your situation. Go and find what God has said and what God has said he's going to do. And then believe it and speak it. Hold fast. Don't let the enemy move you off it. Don't let the scornful, mocking, complaining, critical move you off it. Don't let ungodly counsel move you off it. Don't say, well, yeah, I know God says that, but maybe you could try this. No, you try what God says works. You don't try the other stuff. You trust God to work it out for you and give you the place of blessing. How do you do that? Well, one of the things that we, we need to do, and I, I've talked about a lot over the summer, and going back to that passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, um, in verse 21 of that, it says this, And when he consulted with the people, this is Jehoshaphat, he pointed those who should sing to the Lord and should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. You speak the promises. You sing the promises. You praise the promises. You praise what God is going to do for you. Why? Because what we say has power, but more than that, what we hear from what we say in stirs up the faith within us that allows God to work. 
Faith comes by hearing, so there's no better way to hear so that your faith gets stirred up than for it to come out of your own mouth. That way, you can't have selective hearing like my, my Cheryl sometimes says I have, particularly when she's talking. Do I have selective hearing? Yeah. Well, football's on at the moment. You, you've got to give me some leeway. Yeah, she gave me a lot of slack. She went out shopping yesterday. You see, we've got to hold fast to a God who said to, to, to the truth that God said, I'm going to provide for your needs. I'm your source. A God who says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A God who says that um, as you trust me, I'm going to turn what others intended for harm for your good. A God who says, I'm your vindicator, so don't you go around vindicating yourself. A God who says, when you pray for your enemies, there's a power in that. A God who tells you to do all these things that seem like contrary to logic, we do them. And, you know, I, I, I learned this a long time ago, and unfortunately, at various points in my life since then, I forgot it again, or, or didn't put it into action. But I remember at university, I was uh, about to do my exams, and it was coming up to finals. And so I just got I just got a hold of this concept. And so as I was going out in the morning, you know, I'd been like studying till night and like, you know, you, you can get really easily very tired when you, you, you're studying for your final exams. So I was, I was doing that. And I had on my door, and I, as, as I walked out in the mo morning or afternoon to go for my exam, it was on, the, on my door. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. And I would declare, I'm that man. I'm that man. I've been waiting on the Lord. I've been trusting on the Lord. Now it's down to him. I'm, I'm not going to let all that effort that I've put in uh, be destroyed because the enemy's telling me I'm tired, too tired or my brain's all fuddled away. I've got a clear brain because I've been waiting on the Lord. I've been trusting on the Lord. And what I need to remember, I'll remember because I've, it says there that I'm going to walk and not go weary. I'm going to run and not go faint. So, what, you know, if I've worked hard at this, God's with me. And when I get in that room, I'm going to remember all the things I need to remember. And I remember, like, my, my room was at one end of the university and, and the exam hall was right down the other end. And I remember walking right down the middle of the university, repeating this to myself out loud. And, uh, and when I got to the, 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 the exam queue, um, I, would, I, I would tell, I'd, I'd be doing this and I'd be coming around and people go, what are you doing, what are you doing? And, and so I'd start witnessing to people in the exam queue. I led two people to Christ during my final exams, talking to them in the queue before the exams because this saw that I wasn't reacting to things the way they were reacting. And that's what we can do. We can trust God to that sort of extent. Here's the third thing. Hebrews 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. First thing, draw need to God. Spend time in his presence, rest in his presence. Second thing, hold fast. Third thing, stay in fellowship. Here's something that I think is... Hopefully it's insightful, but it's something that 
I've seen over the 11 years or so that we've been in ministry. And it's this, that when people have a problem, they don't stay in fellowship. The ones who come through those things stay in fellowship. The ones who struggle separate themselves from fellowship. There is a power in being around to encourage each other. And, you know, in this like church world we live in and in this country we live in, it's often not easy for us to remember and think about actually how important it is that we're here for other people. And so we go, well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice morning this morning and there's this on and there's that on. And, well, you know, we haven't done much. With, we, haven't, we haven't been out with the kids for three days. So let's go. There's some, there's, it'd be nice to go down to the pool at the park. And, and, and we get these sort of things and then we, we disengage. And it, it's kind of a bit of a modern epidemic. But it's so important, even even if you aren't coming because you need something, you're coming because it's important you're there to encourage others. It's so encouraging to look out and see people worshipping. It's so encouraging to be around so people you can pray for people. We're not coming to church for us. We're coming to church to give into other people's lives to bless other people, to pray for other people. You know, I don't come through the doors of church on a Sunday morning thinking, I'm going to church for me. I come through the doors thinking, and, and, I, and hopefully a lot of us think this, is right now I'm coming here because I'm a blessing. I'm a blessing to whoever I'm going to come in contact with this morning. To whoever I'm going to come in contact with this morning, I'm going to speak the word of God into their life. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to hug them. And even if I'm just sat there in my chair and I think that it's not making any difference at all, I'm going to remember it's making a massive difference to that worship team. It's making a massive difference to that guy or girl who's up front preaching. And it's making a massive difference to everybody here because they love me and I love them. And and it's like that. And, and we, we, we need to to bond, be strong together. I know we, you know, in Cambridge, it's like this diverse place where we have to travel. But, you know, it's not a big thing. People in America would laugh at us if we said, oh, I've traveled 25, 30 minutes. <laughs> Man, that's just like getting out the end of your drive in America. They have this thing, you know, it's worth the drive to go to a church that's alive. And, and that's what we want to do, and we want to be here for each other. Yeah? You know, when the Bible talks about fellowship, when this passage talks about fellowship, it's not, fellowship isn't, I don't know, going to a midweek group and singing a few songs and reading a Bible passage together. That's good. But fellowship is doing your life together as part of a family. Fellowship is caring for each other, loving each other, blessing each other, praying for each other, turning up for each other, being there for each other. Like, you know, on, on a Sunday morning, I, I will look for people arriving. Like, I've just seen two amazing people just walk in at the back there with... Can I just say, Simeon, your hair is even more incredible than the last time I saw it. Oh, 
Okay, so I'll finish quick because you all want to go and talk to Simeon now, don't you? Being there for each other in fellowship is about being there to help each of us lay hold of God's plan for our lives. And we are weaker apart than we are, and we are strong together. And so that takes some effort. It takes coming when you don't want to come. It takes being there at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning when you get a phone call. And it takes being there at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night when you get a phone call. That, that's, we're there because we're one body. So here's the thing. These are what I want to finish with. And, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to pray blessing as a body uh, on some guys from YWAM who we've got here this morning. But here's, here's the, if you're facing stuff that looks overwhelming, where the odds look stacked against you, and even if you're not, I want you to write this down, then you've got it for when you are, because the enemy isn't giving up anytime soon. <coughs> you know, people will say, well, why does life have to be so hard? Because life's hard. Because we have an enemy, and it's not fair. But it's a life that is better walked with God, trusting God, than walking relying on us. Because God has a way of turning things out. It might not do it immediately. He has a way of turning things out. So when you're facing that stuff that looks like, oh, I can't, I can't see way ahead. I can't see how it's going to work. First thing, don't panic. Don't panic. Who remembers Dad's army? <laughs> okay, now you're, t now you're showing your ages. How can you remember Dad's army? You were, you were even a twinkle in your mum's eye when Dad's army was on. Granddad showed you it, did he? Right. So don't panic, Mr. Mannery. Secondly, position yourself. Separate yourself from twisty counsel and ungodly counsel. Don't listen to it. Don't get there with all the money minis. Don't get in these pity parties and complaining clubs and morning meetings. Just don't go there. Say... You know, like, if, you, if people want you to go along and, and they're just going to sit there and moan and complain and twine and be critical of everybody, what I advise you to do is say, I'm not coming anymore because all you do is moan and complain and twine and be critical and I've decided I don't want to do that. So don't. Draw near to God. Hold fast to the promises of God. And confess them. And lean into your covenant family fellowship. Lean into people, not away from people. Whatever it is that you're facing, even if you're struggling with God, if you're struggling with your faith, there isn't any answers on your own. The answers are to lean into fellowship, not away from it. And it may take time, but God will get you what you need through the people who love you.